Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is August 5th. 2020 and it's tony here in saskatchewan and lewis out here in beautiful bc how are you my friend hot <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's, it's, it's a hot one here too 31 today and not much wind so it was actually quite a nice day oh it's been 37 degrees almost every day for the last 10 days that's that should actually be criminal that's that's pretty it's, insane well, it's it's awesome. I mean, that's why I live here. But it's uh, it's tough to work in during the day. So, oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, and well, good thing it's hot because we're about to get hotter. So we got a really loaded up show today, Canada. I don't know if we will get to everything we want to talk about, but on the show today. We just can't stop talking about we, the Liberal government. Status is now one MP shorter. Nova Scotia will now get its public inquiry. School reopening plans are being set in provinces across the country. And the city of Edmonton has expanded its mask mandate. All right, so how about we'll start with, we'll have a little fun here. Now, Canada, anybody who's listened to this show long enough knows that you've heard Lewis and I make a ton of different predictions or even just forecasting what's going to happen and i don't mean to pump our own tires a lot but when the two of us have both been in this political game for the better part of three decades it's really easy to know the future because you can tell by what's happened in the past so imagine that that, learning from history exactly (laughs) actually i guess that's very apropos you would say that during these times (laughs) (laughs) So, we're going to play a little game here, Lewis and I. Now, breaking news today, Liberal MP Michael Levitt, who is the Liberal MP for York Centre in Toronto, has resigned his seat. He will be resigning as an MP as of September 1st to become the CEO of a Jewish human rights organization in Toronto. So, Lewis, do you want to spin the Liberal slant on this story or do you want to spin the conservative slant on this story well my first question would be how could he call himself a liberal in the first place if he's going to go and stump for jews yeah that's actually a really good question isn't it because because lately i mean uh the anti-semitic rhetoric is coming out of the left right now yeah no it really is and uh so then people would say, well, I guess he was liberal as an op- being an opportunist. Well, maybe maybe he is a real liberal and not a liberal by name only, which is what it seems that a lot of liberals are now. I mean, they, it's like they're liberal in name only, and they really should be members of the NDP. Um, because liberals liberals have always, you know, historically being center of the road and but this liberal party that we have now is where the ndp was like 10 years ago 
And now the NDP is where Karl Marx was 50 years ago, um, or 60 yeah. <laughs> years ago. Um, but yeah, not 50 years ago. It would have been longer than that. But, but, uh, but you know, I mean, that's so maybe, maybe he was a real liberal. Yeah, so I'm going to take the part of the liberals here. And of course, their spin on this will be oh, well, you know, we certainly support our members standing up for a cause that they believe in, and we certainly wish him well, and we're certainly sorry to see him go, but we, but, but that the liberal way is to stand up for human rights wherever they feel it is, it is needed. Does that sound about right? Yep, sounds about right. Now, what would the conservatives say about that? Uh, that he can't take the corruption any longer and uh, is leaving leaving the office because of that. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. And because this is a fresh story, hopefully Canada, you will have heard what we said, listen to what the media spin is and just see how, how close we are. And uh, I guarantee you, we're going to be right along in line with what the two parties are saying. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Now, before we get to we, and I'm itching to get at it. So I want to get just quickly go through the, uh, the Nova Scotia situation. This is something that I have, I have been following since the very beginning and I've been trying to keep up with it. So it's, it's starting to become more personal for me now. And I've never been to Nova Scotia. I know some people from there, but this has just touched me. So uh, we, I ranted a few months back that Nova Scotia deserved to get a public inquiry. Now they're getting one for the, uh, the, the shooting that happened in April, the uh, well shooting and our slash arson. So the, worst mass shooting murder spree in Canadian history. What I find a little curious here is I'm happy as heck that they're going to get a public inquiry, but what did it take to get the public inquiry? Not just public outcry, 35 senators and the leaders of the two opposition parties in the Nova Scotia legislature Mm -hmm. hounding the, the, the government in, in order finally to call this public inquiry. Yeah. And that by itself is ridiculous. And what I find a little perplexing is that Anne McClellan, who was, was appointed as a on the, this private review panel to investigate this, and I have no idea why she was appointed, but as soon as the inquiry became a public inquiry, Ms. McClellan stepped down. Yeah. And I mean, it, we know why she was selected in the first place. She, was, she used to be a minister of, of justice. Um, but, and she's, you know, she, she was a liberal MP forever. Uh, so yeah, I I mean, I understand why she was selected to, to handle a review. Um, normally it's a judge that heads things up. Um, but Mm -hmm. that's for public inquiries usually. So hopefully they'll appoint a judge this time. Um, but I think that it, I think that there's some, I think there are some things to take away from this. Uh, The fact that the liberals fought tooth and nail against a public inquiry says that there's things here that they don't want people to know. Uh, And I think that with Anne McClellan stepping down says that she is no longer comfortable heading up this review or public inquiry uh, 
knowing that she won't be able to uh, suppress any information. Well, exactly. She can't hide behind privilege anymore. And so, I mean, right there, something stinks about it. And I've heard since the inquiry was called that the RCMP are even, obviously they're willing to engage it, but they've already said, well, there's going to be matters that we can't comment on because it's provincial matter and we are a federal police service. And that leads me to where I want to go next is that it's time for provinces, not just Nova Scotia, but provinces across Canada to start saying it's time to follow Ontario and Quebec and get our own provincial police services so that this kind of crap doesn't have to continue. Well, it makes you wonder why they're saying that Um, because you, you would think that to, to participate fully in a, in a public inquiry that the RCMP, if they really wanted to get to the bottom of what happened would voluntarily share information. You'd think Um, so, wouldn't you? If they're fighting it or saying, Hey, we're not going to comment on certain things because of jurisdictional uh, uh, conflict here. Uh, that doesn't wash with me. That doesn't, I, that to me, that sounds again, like there are things they don't want us to know. And there's a few things that people have like have brought up as things that they might not want us to know. Like, why was this guy receiving cash payments, like large sum payments uh, in cash, which is which experts have said looks a lot like a police informant uh, cash payment. Um, there's the fact that he was running guns and drugs across the border. The fact that uh, he also um, uh, had these perfect replicas of police cars. And um, uniforms. And uniforms. I mean, this there's something not right about this. And the fact that the liberals immediately used it to ban a wide selection of firearms in this country without knowing any details um something stinks it does something stinks really bad yeah uh, you know i don't disagree with anything you just said and i get very very suspicious um like you said there are things that the police could i can't say easily bat away but i mean there's 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 things they need to answer for and to me the probably the biggest or well maybe not the biggest to me it's a very big issue anyway is that gun ban i mean that gun ban was gone i don't think the the gunpowder had even settled on some of the victims and already mr trudeau had a list of guns to ban and bill blair was was all too excited to stand in front of a microphone and barely get the words condolences out of his mouth before he starts talking about gun ban. So that really, really stinks. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot about this case that doesn't make any sense and that needs explaining. And uh, honestly, I think that this, this, uh, this public inquiry should really be done on the national level, not, not provincial so that we can get all the answers. 
Actually, yeah, you know what? That's that probably would be the best venue for it, wouldn't it? Because then the RCMP couldn't hide behind that cross-jurisdictional, you know, debate yeah. if you want to call it that. So yeah, exactly. I mean, it's or somebody could just oh, I don't know, like the Minister of Public Safety could just say, no, share all the information you got. But they're not going to do that because I I think that there's something they don't want us to know. I think that and it might be even more than just one thing it could be several things they just don't want us to know yeah well there's definitely something going on and it's really uh that really disturbs me i mean people put their faith in these institutions like the rcmp and for that matter our government and we're not being served by either right now oh hell no no we are not all right um another quick little point about government's serving the people, and I'm going to use the air fingers quotes there. I ranted only a couple of days ago about the city of Edmonton implementing a mask mandate, and I actually listened to my rant just five minutes before uh, we started the show today to remind myself, and I did indeed say that, yes, very, very hard left-wing mayor Don Iveson is a big fan of government control, and sorry, Canada, I actually did not want to be right about that. The city of Edmonton today has extended its mask mandate two weeks to flatten the curve. Oh, no, wait, that was what it was originally supposed to be. No, no, mask mandate extended to the end of 2020. Oh, my God. So two weeks becomes five months. Well, how how can he do that? He doesn't know what the situation is going to be like in six weeks. He doesn't know what the situation is going to be like in two weeks. Well, how exactly. Can we, how can we expand this this mask uh, requirement for five months? That's like the mayor of uh, yeah. It's like the um, Bill De Blasio in New York City saying that they're not going to have uh, indoor seating in restaurants until June twenty twenty one. How do you? How can they make such statements? They don't know what the situation is going to be like in a few weeks. Never mind a few months or or even almost a year. Well, exactly, and. It's, it's just, it's a power grab is all it is. And, you know, I'll go back to my rant again and sorry to, to keep pumping up my own tires here, but whatever happened to personal responsibility, whatever happened to, you know, restaurant extras saying, Hey, you know what, if you want to come in here, you need a mask or you want to come into this store, you need a mask and let, you know, more localized to, uh, solutions to this rather than just these sweeping mandates that if you want to yeah if you want to have mask uh require like a required mask wearing in government buildings go ahead if you want to have mandatory masks in restaurants and that restaurant and it's up to the restaurant if the restaurant wants to have it i don't care go ahead yeah i mean if i want to eat there i'll wear a mask then i don't know how i'm going to eat but i'll wear a mask and, um, but to say you got to have one in all public spaces, which includes parks and all of this, where we already know the science has actually proven that sunlight, direct sunlight kills this virus. And that being outside the, during the day, the chances of you catching the virus are almost nil. 
Oh, yeah. And like you say, a whole, a whole public spaces is really a big load of hooey. I mean, if the city wants to pass that for city-owned facilities, absolutely that's within their rights. But why should they be telling private businesses and private citizens when they know that you must wear masks wherever you go. Um, how about no? How about get the hell off my back, big brother? Well, I mean, here's the thing, okay? And this is not, this is not even debatable. The science behind the mask wearing is dubious at best. I mean, they, they say there's, there's very little difference made by wearing masks. Um, unless you're wearing an N95. Now, I happen to have some N95s. And so when I do go to places that require masks, I wear one of those because they're the only ones that actually work. And so the mask wearing, making it mandatory to wear something that doesn't really help very much at all is is crazy if you want to wear it go ahead i'm not going to stop you uh in fact i if you want to wear it then please do if it makes you more comfortable then wear it but to make it mandatory to wear something that scientifically does not make much of a difference at all is is, is absolutely crazy well it is and my wife works in the medical field and so she was telling me that the the, the mask that ninety nine percent of us are wearing is effective for about twenty minutes, and and she points out, and now that she's pointed it out to me, like it's one of those things that when you see it once, you never forget. And she points out to me the number of people who are wearing their masks improperly or incorrectly, and so now I can spot them a mile away. People who, for example, cross the uh, the bands over, thinking that they're tightening their mask up. And then they end up actually puffing the sides out a little bit. So now the particles are escaping through those little little V's that are puffed out in the sides of their necks or their face, I should say. And then I can see other, pe- other people who wear their masks inside out. So therefore, they're not effective at all. And some people who are wearing them upside down. And it's like, okay, so. Or they don't cover you, their nose. Oh, oh, man, I see so much of that. It's like there's yeah. only about 20% of people who are actually wearing them properly anyway. So why are we bothering people? Yeah, like it, it's shocking to me how many people are wearing the masks but not covering their nose with it. And then uh, and then the number of people, like if you actually look at the masks, they don't fit your face properly. Like there's two big gaps on both sides of your nose and two big gaps on either side of your mouth on the mask. So please explain to me how this is actually helping. And especially since those cloth masks really, they don't, if you get, you can breathe actually quite easily through them very easily, which says they're not blocking very much. An N95, which is what I use, um, is actually not easy to breathe through. There's actually, there's actually a valve in it so that I can blow out. Um, like it's (laughs) like, so like the, and and the N95 actually doesn't help with protecting other people. It protects you because the valve opens up so that you can actually exhale properly, but it's, it's more to protect yourself. Whereas 
Like they're telling you to wear these masks because it protects other people. I don't see how that works. Wear one of those masks, hold your hand in front of your face and cough. You can feel that. Yeah, good point. And I mean, largely, and I'm not anti-mask because I actually do wear, wear them at times. I will wear them when I go to a place like Costco, for example. And like I said before, if there's a sign on the door that says, you know, mask required, hey, yep, I will wear one. I mean, I, uh, yep. I, I, I have no problem following the rules. If that's a request of this the building I've gone into, no problem. But, yeah, I think if we continue to harbor this illusion that we're actually – doing some good by wearing masks, especially when, like you say, you're in a public park. Um, if that makes you feel better, folks, go ahead. But from a public safety perspective, you're doing nothing. Yeah. I mean, the virus is killed almost instantly by direct sunlight uh, and UV light, right? That's what does the killing of the virus. Um, I happen to work outside. I, the other, the other issue is, is vitamin D. Vitamin D deficiency seems to be tied directly to the number of people uh, getting sick. Like it's, it's something like 85% of the people that are hospitalized are vitamin D deficient. And, no, I did not know that. And only 4% have sufficient levels of vitamin D. And that are in that are in the ICU with COVID. So it it seems it seems that vitamin D, vitamin C, and zinc are three very very important things to be taking. Now I happen to work outside. I get vitamin D naturally, and I honestly during during like I never get sick ever. So. Like, because I'm getting that vitamin D and everything. So if you're not working outside, if you work in an office, please start supplementing vitamin D, vitamin C, and zinc. Because, and that's coming from doctors. Like, they're that's what they're recommending to people. Yeah, and rightfully so. I think that uh, that's good advice. And it's funny for... Uh... I mean, I, I'm like you. I don't get sick either. I do hit, have some seasonal allergies, but I... Uh... Yeah, I, I can count the number of sick days I've taken in 25 years on one hand. So, yeah. but luckily for me, I also have uh, had a lot of jobs where I've worked outside. And I think maybe some people's constitution is just built for, you know, not getting sick. And I think that people are, I have no problem with the hand sanitizing. I mean, people should be washing their hands anyway. So if, we get nothing else as a, as a positive takeaway from COVID. It's at least we get people washing their hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People are all, although I'll tell you, there's still the number of people I've seen in a public bathroom that still skip the sink on their way out is absolutely disgusting. That's gross. Yep. That is yeah. really gross. And as a man, I can say, I see, I've see, I see it on a regular basis. Yeah, no, that that is nasty. But uh, yeah, to wrap gross. this one up, men are gross, yep. aren't we? Oh, we are. Yep, there's no question <laughs> about that. Yep. But yeah, so I uh, to, to wrap that up. Um, yeah, Mayor Iverson, Edmonton. Um, 
hate to say it, but you, you sir, you really are a tool. Um, to take a two-week mandate and turn it into five months, it to me just smacks of control. Doesn't even smack of public safety. No, exactly. You know. And I, and to touch on another issue uh, to do with government control that that COVID tracing app. Oh uh, yeah, that, that the federal government has released in Ontario that will soon expand to the rest of the country. Um, so my uh, my federal MP Dan Albus has posted on his Facebook page uh, an explanation of this app, and there are some things in there that I didn't know that. I think are actually good. Um, one is that the app has, does not have access to any personal information on who you are or uh, any contacts or uh, any, any other information on your phones. And it also does not use your GPS. It, oh. it just uses Bluetooth to uh, trade um, a code with other phones that have the same app. And if anybody contact, contracts COVID and tests positive, then you will be notified that you were in contact with somebody who has now tested positive. They, the, the app does not transmit any personal information or tracking information on G, like GPS tracking information. That's good. Um, but... but did you know the app is racist? I, you know, I didn't actually learn that until I watched Power and Politics, and that's terrible. How the how dare the government be so racist as to make an app for a smartphone that it's fails to recognize? People. It's <laughs> only for white people and affluent people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All so right. So what know, are we? If do- you don't know what we're talking about. It's. The, there is a, a guy, I'm not even going to give his name because he doesn't deserve any recognition. No. Uh, he is complaining, he is accusing the federal government of racism because the app does not work on phones that are more than five years old. I don't know very many smartphones that still work after five years, so... Um, but, and who is it that has these these older phones? Oh, apparently, it's minorities and indigenous people. Yeah, that's right, and they're the only people that have these outdated phones. And as this gentleman said, these are the people that need this app the most. Well, now the minor minority groups are affected by this uh, by COVID more than white people. That is a fact. It uh, is. And, and uh, a lot of it has to do with what I was talking about before in that uh, people with darker skin have more melanin in their skin and cannot absorb uh, uh, like sunlight to create vitamin D in their bodies. And that's a big factor. Um, so it is affecting minorities but the fact that this guy assumes that minorities all have phones that are five years or older is in itself racist. <laughs> well, it totally is. Yeah. I mean, all I could think of is how arrogant can you be to, well, A, 
be completely upset on behalf of, of people that you obviously don't know, and then B, to suggest that these minority groups that you don't know, and he probably doesn't know anybody who's even a member of those minority, minority groups, and I'm making an assumption here, yes, but how racist of, it, of him is it for him to assume that, oh, well, these minority groups wouldn't have the, the latest smartphones, therefore they couldn't get this app. Yeah. Um, wow, dude. Wow. The last I checked, people's, uh, people's plans renew every two years, and every two years you get your phone upgraded. Well, exactly. So the majority of people have phones that are less than two years old. <laughs> well, I mean, well, yeah. and, and, here's the, and here's the thing. This, this guy is a perfect example of what some psychologists are saying about woke people in that woke people are actually the ones that are racist because they, uh, they, they, f- because they have feelings of racism, it must mean that everybody that is white also has racist has racism in them, and so they're they hate that about themselves. So they're going to attack everybody for being racist. And this guy is is a perfect example of that explanation. Yeah, good point. Oh, and Oprah Winfrey is now saying that uh, all white people uh, are racist and that uh, everybody should be talking to their family members at the dinner table about racism and and their own racist feelings and and how being white is a uh, uh, gives you um, uh, advantages that that minorities don't get. Oh, and so now we're is, back to white privilege. And oh this my gosh. Is, and this is coming from the richest woman on the planet. Yeah. Who's black <laughs> and in America. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. Next all right. Issue. So, <laughs> all right. So now I want to squeeze one more in here before we get to talk more about our favorite charity. You had put up a Facebook post today about a little bit of corporate welfare in Quebec. And I heard another story about corporate welfare in Quebec. Both are absolutely ridiculous. So how about you go first? Well, the, the government of Canada issued a no-bid contract. Hmm. Sounds like another thing we, we've been dealing with in the last month or so. Doesn't a it? No, a no-bid contract to a Quebec company to make PPE, so private, uh, personal uh, protective equipment. Uh, and, that govern- and that company doesn't even have a, a factory in Canada. And um, so this is, it, I believe it's all coming from China. And, um, but it's a sole sourced, no bid contract, just like we and um yeah i mean it, it, this is this is there are companies in this country that can do it and b- do it here i know bauer is doing it bauer is making protective face shields for healthcare workers because they can, because they weren't making hockey equipment so why not just contract a company like that to do it 
why why a company that isn't even going to make it here in Canada getting this contract? Well, exactly. I mean, there's also a company in Regina that's making face shields as well. Um, the same kind of thing. Rather than shut down, they decided just to tweak their production lines and started making face shields. Yeah. So why not take advantage of Canadian innovation? Yeah, but again, it's a Quebec company, and there was no and, bid, no bid contract. Once again, and how much money did they get? Oh, you had to ask me that. Uh, it was like it was it was nine figures. It was like one hundred and thirty-three million dollars, I believe. Exactly what it was. So yeah. now let's add let's let's add to that. Now, if I say the word Zeppelin. What 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 do you, what make, what comes to mind? Oh, a great rock band. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> you know what? That comes to more to people's mind than the Hindenburg, for the example. Hindenburg, exactly. That was my second choice. Be- because a Zeppelin was the latest te- flight technology in what nineteen twenty? Yeah, maybe. However, the Quebec government decided that they would pay thirty million dollars to help a French company build a Zeppelin plant in Quebec. What? Now, this Zeppelin plant has, big surprise, Canada, no orders for Zeppelins from any customers and no customers to make those orders. But the Quebec government decided to spend $30 million of Quebec taxpayer money to lure a Zeppelin plant to Quebec to create Quebec jobs because I'm just going to get out there and order me a Zeppelin now that I know they're made in Canada. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't even know that Zeppelins was still a thing. Neither did I. I, I, I kind of assumed that they went down with the Hindenburg, but well, I mean, you knew, lo and behold, like, Goodyear is about the only company in the world I know of that still uses a blimp. I mean, this oh, is... I've forgotten about that. Yeah, the Goodyear blimp. Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay, this... I had not heard that, so my speechlessness is genuine here, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of dumbfounded. I didn't know there was any demand for Zeppelins in Canada. Yeah, nor did I, but I guess uh, now I'd heard this on the Canadian Taxpayers podcast, and apparently there was talk about using Zeppelins to transport supplies into northern communities where other forms of flight weren't quite as practical. And then some rocket scientist, or I guess blimp scientist, realized that they use water to help balance uh, blimps out, apparently, and in northern climates such as Canada, especially northern Quebec, when the temperature gets below zero degrees, which happens often, water tends to oh, freezes. <laughs> and that makes blimp flying just a little difficult. They want to use blimps to get to get um, to, to supply northern communities. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. I, I I don't even know what to say to that. Well, yeah. It's like sometimes this stuff writes itself. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. And and speaking, speaking, of, speaking of another government that has done something stupid, uh, my government in BC 
the premier was asked about vandalism happening to vehicles with Alberta license plates in our province. And uh, he said, well, if you don't like it, take transit. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Like, okay, that's even if you thought that, you shouldn't have said that. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah, that's a boy. That's Mr. Sensitivity. He he didn't even condemn it. He just said, take transit. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) What a tool. (laughs) No kidding. Uh, Speaking of what a tool. Justin Trudeau testified at the uh, in front of the finance committee tool. last week, <laughs> and mine. <laughs> and so, Mr. Trudeau, let's just say he misspoke. I mean, think to to put it politely. Now, I was uh, happy to hear Pierre Polyev grill him the way he did, but then the more I've sat back and kind of absorbed what he had said, Mr. Trudeau was throwing dates around, and uh, I believe it was was it May fifth. He said that. He quote unquote pushed back and suggested the government needed to take a, a look at this. May May eighth. It was May eighth. Yeah. But yet it was April twenty first when it was first announced we would take take this uh this 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 program on, was it not? No, no. Um May May fifth was when we was told they or got their first payment. So it it may have been in April when they were told that they were getting it, but uh, I know May 5th was when they got their first $30 million payment. And uh, and then Trudeau said that on May 8th was when he found out that we was being considered and he pushed back and said, whoa, there might be a conflict of interest here. And they said, no, there's no conflict of interest. And Trudeau said, okay, let's go ahead with it. And and then May 22nd was when they voted in the cabinet. And yet they and they and they kept saying that every cabinet minister had a a vote on this matter, but we was given money first $30 million payment on May 5th. Right. Now, see, knowing that April comes before May and that May 5th comes before May 22nd, I think that when Mr. Kielberg, and I can't remember which, I think it was Mark, had said that the PMO reached out to us and asked if we could take on this, this project, I think, okay, so Trudeau obviously knew in April that they were passing this off to we because it was April 20th or 26th. Yeah. The, anyway, that would, that we handed this, this uh, proposal to the, to the Trudeau government that looked almost exactly like the request that the, the government was going to put out for the sole source contract. So I hate to say Mr. Trudeau is lying, but I will say I don't believe one single word of what he had to say. No, and Pierre Polyev even said that. He said, nobody believes you. And and he's right. I don't know anybody who believes him. No, and what, what cracks me up is that like, Pierre Polyev had pointed this out, that you know, the public service already had a program, the Canada 
uh, summer jobs grant. And yet Mr. Trudeau said that, oh, no, the public service told us that we would be the only organization that could handle such a project. Which, again, leaves me scratching my head because, yeah, there's this Canada summer jobs program, sir. Yeah, and the um, public service has come out and said that that, that was a completely insulting to them because they said they could do it. Yeah, exactly. And further to this, um, another tool, Bill Morneau, um, almost looks like he is being set up there. Mr. Trudeau is suddenly now distancing himself from his finance minister. And yeah. I mean, poor Mr. Morneau, he can't even remember that he forgot to pay $41,366 for a family vacation. So uh, to, to pile on at this point in time is just cruel. I know you would think that we had Joe Biden in office here, but it's actually Bill Morneau. Um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but yeah, he um, he looks like he's going to be the scapegoat. Um, but I don't understand how anybody could possibly think that this is over when if they get rid of Bill Morneau because. Um, He's not at the center of this. He's part of it, but he's not at the center of it. Trudeau is at the center of it. And I, I like uh, Roy Green. Uh, he, he said that um, maybe, maybe uh, Bill Morneau is, is getting ready for his promotion to uh, Minister of Veterans Affairs. <laughs> oh, good one yeah <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what that's referencing that is referencing uh jody wilson raybold uh getting uh moved over to veterans affairs after uh her defiant stand against trudeau with with uh snc labeling now i'm glad you brought miss uh, wilson raybold up actually because that's where i wanted to go next because well, I could see Mr. Morneau be be uh, being a scapegoat for this. Yeah. I'm actually going to make the case that Bartis Chagger is going to be the one who gets thrown under the bus first. Another, because, another minority woman? Oh, my gosh. As a matter of fact, she is. Um, she's a minority woman, but she's also the Minister of Youth, so this was under, was under her, her watch. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, she was the first one to come out, and rightfully so, because it is her program. So she was the first one to come out with the with the party line that, well, this is about the, the kids and too bad we couldn't get these jobs out to the kids. And unfortunately, she hasn't been keeping up with the spin and she's kind of stuck to the same story. And I don't think she's in the loop anymore. So I got a funny feeling that that Trudeau's going to cut her loose, which makes me say to myself, that would be kind of racist of him that he cut loose Jody Wilson-Raybould a woman of color, an Aboriginal MP. Then he cut loose Jane Philpot. I mean, I guess she resigned, but was still pushed out. Another woman who's not a, a visible minority. But then... But she is... When, a right. And then... <laughs> um, and uh, Miss... Uh, I can't remember her first name now, but Miss Cedra Siobhan, who is a, a black woman who with whom... Mr. Trudeau was at odds and she resigned and chose not to run again. And then once after she had made that decision, then started talking about some of the very cruel conversations Mr. Trudeau had had with her, it kind of makes a pattern of sexism slash racism, doesn't it? Well, 
see, I'm not the one. I'm not gonna jump on that bandwagon. Um, I I just think that he has a problem with people who stand up to him, and it just happens that he's got some uh, women in his cabinet that stand up to him. Oh, that could be. I mean, that and I'm I'm all for strong women. I'm for strong politicians. Period. So, uh, yeah, but I just I find it very very curious that it's minority women seem to be. Uh, incurring his wrath more so than anybody else let's put it that's a more politically correct way to put it <laughs> yeah politically I, correct. I, and honestly man i like i don't i don't want to jump on that bandwagon just because i i just i don't want to be like the people who normally jump on those bandwagons right who are immediately all about misogynism or or racism or whatever I just think he just doesn't like people who stand up to him, or you know, and, and I think that's that's just what it comes down to. Period. Well, I think that case can be made too, but then it's very easy to go down the road to say, "Well, Mister Blackface," and yeah, true enough. But at the very least, I uh, I have a funny feeling that Miss Chagger's days are numbered as well, and I think I don't know very much about her, but I feel bad that as you know. She's not exactly the most experienced politician in the cabinet. She's, I think this is her first term as an MP, is it not? I can't even remember now. Uh, I, I, oh, geez. I believe it's her second. I think she was first elected in 2015, but I could oh, be wrong. Right, yeah, no, that, that, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's probably how I should have phrased it. So, yeah, so it would be her second term. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I have a funny feeling that her career in cabinet is going to be very short-lived. There's a, already yeah, talk about I mean, a cabinet I, shuffle in, next month, actually. So, yeah, and I think that's where you're going to see Bartish Chagger lose her job. Uh, you're going to see Bill Morneau lose his job, um, and we're just not going to see Justin Trudeau lose his job. And that, and it's really disappointing because that's the person who needs to lose his job. He is, and I know that Mr. Shear has called for Mr. Trudeau to step down now, so that's two of the opposition leaders. And I believe it was Yves-Francois Blanchette who has said he will push for a no-confidence vote when the House does sit again late in September. So if, if he's not all talk and he's actually willing to pull that trigger... Um, I guess they would still need the NDP in order to make that happen, wouldn't they? Yeah, and I mean, given the NDP's track record, they might just cut a deal with the Liberals to keep the House from sitting just for a promise to think about doing something. Yeah, exactly, to give Jagmeet Singh an additional 30 seconds of questioning for when the House actually does sit for a couple of days in the month. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I, here's my prediction. My prediction is that uh, is that Trudeau is going to cut Morneau loose or Morneau is going to resign before the cabinet shuffle. And he's going to go back to Morneau-Chapelle, where he should never have left. And uh, he's going to make uh, Miss Christia Freeland his uh, Minister of Finance. I could actually see that last part happening. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, I think if Bill Morneau sees the writing on the wall, you're absolutely right. He will step down before that cabinet shuffle takes place. And then, yeah, Miss Freeland will just kind of slide into that role that I could see happening. I don't think that he would actually wait for the demotion or wait to, you know, 
get removed from cabinet as it were. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, what's going to happen. So, yeah. All right. And uh, just to, to wrap up this one, and uh, I guess we're going over our time a bit on the show here. We, um, Continues to lose business. The Saskatchewan government just uh, canceled a two hundred and sixty thousand dollar charity contract with We, and we. organizations are walking away from We as fast as they possibly can. So, uh, yep, it sounds like the organization may not have a future. It does. It sounds after like it. everything. Yeah, and after everything we've learned about it, uh, I won't shed a tear. Good riddance to bad rubbish. Yep. All right, and on that sour note, Canada, we'll do it to you one more time. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I do want to give a shout-out. I was looking at our show demographics uh, re- recently here, and we still have actually a fairly strong following in Europe, specifically in Poland. So thank you to our friends in Poland. I certainly appreciate having you around, and we appreciate all of you here in Canada and wherever you're listening to us. Uh, Thank you very much. And I, and I want I want our Polish listeners to send us an email and tell us why you're listening. Because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, uh, CanadianCommonSense at gmail.com. C-D-N-C-O-M-S-E-N-S-E at gmail.com. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, please do do tell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Canada and Poland, good night from British Columbia. And from from out here in Saskatchewan, good night.